God's word. Now when they heard these things, they were enraged, and they ground their teeth at him. But he, Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God, and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens opened, and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and rushed together at him. Then they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. And Saul approved of his execution. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him. But Saul was ravaging the church, and entering house after house, he dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. May God bless the reading of his word. So every year, uh, we start out the new year uh, by preaching just a short series on something pertaining to God's plan and design for the local church. We especially focus on elements that we as elders feel like the Lord is maybe leading our church family into as we come into the new year, Uh, things that we feel like we should strive to uh, grow in new opportunities the Lord has opened up for us so that we might become a more faithful local fellowship. So if you're new to Witten, these next few weeks are actually going to be great weeks for you to be here because you'll be able to hear our heart for our church family as we move forward into this year and the years after. Once again, this year, we feel as though the Lord is calling us to continue to take ground in becoming what I'll call an outward-facing church for us to grow and progress and press into his plan for the church to be a people who live on mission in our world. Like the Apostle Paul and our brother Jason Stinson like to say, Uh, The call is for us to excel yet more in this regard. So I'm excited for 2024 before we dive into our study of the book of Leviticus. We're titling this series Church on Mission, and I'd like to take a couple couple minutes to actually tell you uh, where we're going to go in this series to give you a heads up. In the final words of the book of Matthew... Uh, You may know that Jesus Christ gathers his followers, his disciples, and he commissions them saying, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Now, typically when we read the Great Commission, 
two things come to our minds, my mind. And the first one is evangelism. That is to make disciples of those who are not disciples. These disciples are then enfolded into the body of Christ through baptism. But then we also see what I consider to be personal one-to-one discipleship. So it's people not only coming to Christ and initially becoming a disciple, but then those disciples actually being trained up by Christians to obey all that God has commanded. In other words, believers are to help other believers to grow to follow Christ more faithfully. So in these first few sermons of the new year, and then all throughout the new year, we're going to be talking about, and especially pressing into, these two great themes of the Great Commission, evangelism and discipleship. And our hope and our prayer is not that we just do more stuff or emphasize certain things for one year, is, but our hope and our prayer is that these two things would become more and more and more just a regular rhythm of our church family. Both formally and informally, we could say that these things would become the culture of our church, the norm within our church fellowship. And so towards that end, I just want to tell you kind of what lies ahead in the weeks to come. Today, I want to talk to you about God's heart for the lost and his, his call upon all of our lives as Christians to proclaim the good news of Christ. And so to do that, we're going to look at Acts chapter 8, verse 4. Next week, Lord willing, we're going to look at the Great Commission itself, and we're going to consider God's call upon the normal Christian's life to invest in other Christians' lives to help them grow in their faith and walk more faithfully with Jesus. On the third week, we're going to have the joy of having John Pope come and preach to us on God's heart for the city and how God uses churches to plant new churches, reaching new and unchurched people, but specifically through evangelism and discipleship that they're brought into these new churches and trained up in Christ's likeness. For those who don't know John, John is, Lord willing, going to be our first Grove church planter, and we will be working with him throughout the year to plant a new church in downtown Mesa in the fall, God willing. So it's going to be great to have him with us. Uh, we will have him with us a number of times, but next on that week, we're going to do a Q&A after the service, and you can get to know him and the work that we will press into. The fourth week, we're actually going to have a brother named Tanyan Berry come and preach about God's heart for the nations, and specifically how God has uniquely brought the nations to the city of Phoenix in a really unique and beautiful way through uh, the campus of ASU. God has brought the nations and God has brought students from closed countries to our very neighborhoods where they are receiving education. And now we have this opportunity to share the good news with them, to invest in them, to disciple them, and then to, God willing, see them go back to their home countries, many of which are closed countries, and be evangelists and be disciplers within their own country places that we can't get to. And so on that week, we will hear from Tanyan. Tanyan leads a ministry called Life Among the Nations, and it's a new ministry that we're going to be pressing into as a church family 
and we'll have a Q&A with him as well. And then on the final week, um, I hope to conclude the series by talking about how the health of a local church is actually paramount to the Christians within that local church fulfilling the call of the Great Commission to evangelize and make disciples, how the health of a local body actually has a profound impact on the effectiveness of its own disciples making other disciples. So that's our plan. (laughs) We're not promised next week or tomorrow, so we'll see how it goes. But these are unique goals that we feel like the Lord has placed on our heart. So I'd like to pause for a moment and just pray about that and pray for the weeks that are to come. God, once again, we come to you. We lay our plans before you, knowing and trusting that uh, man makes his plans, but you direct our steps and our hearts, and you have all things planned out. But God, we ask and pray in the name of Christ that for this is short series before we head into Leviticus, that you would move and shape our hearts as a church family that we would both in formal ways and in informal ways, that we would become people who are more devoted and faithful to your great commission, that we would become a church where it is the normal culture of our fellowship, that we are discipling, that we are evangelizing, and that we are encouraging one another to excel in these things as a church body. We lay this at your feet, O Lord, and ask you to move by your word and by your spirit. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Now, if you haven't done so already, please open your Bibles to Acts. Uh, We will be spending the majority of our time in just one verse, Acts chapter 8, verse 4. But for us to do that, we will need to get a little bit of context in the book of Acts. Uh, the book of Acts begins with the ascension of our resurrected Messiah. Jesus' identity as the Messiah, the Christ, the Son of God, who came to give his life as a ransom for many, it has now gone public. The message that at one time was, don't go and tell, keep it a secret, has now been officially changed to go and tell, proclaim the good news. Go into all the world and proclaim the gospel. Right before Jesus ascends to the right hand of God, Christ calls his disciples and commissions them in Acts chapter 1 saying, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and then to the ends of the earth. A concentric circles. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And just like he promised, the Spirit does indeed fall on the people at Pentecost, and then literally everything changes. Uh, People who once cowered in fear, people who were once in hiding, people who were once timid and unsure or unbelieving, they begin to herald the gospel with boldness, and the Spirit moves in power throughout Jerusalem. Peter preaches, and literally thousands of people Trust in Christ. And these thousands of people then come together and they are formed into the church. God's word continues to spread in power. Well, as, as you might expect, in kind of the, the hub of Judaism that rejected Jesus as the Messiah, not everyone was a fan of the massive work of the Lord. Especially when we read these early sermons that are in the book of Acts and we see that they are quite blunt or clear, we could say, 
And needless to say, opposition and persecution began to spread. Peter and John are taken into custody. They're commanded to stop preaching the, the good news. And they continue to do so. Then all the apostles are brought in. They're arrested. They're commanded once again to not speak of this Jesus in chapter 5. But Peter and the apostles essentially say to them, listen, we are witnesses uh, to this truth. And we have to obey God in proclaiming this good news rather than your orders. Just like what we heard read, it says that when they responded in this way, when those religious leaders heard it, they were enraged and they wanted to kill them. And before you know it, the killing did begin, right? A man named Stephen, who wasn't an apostle, who may never have like held some official office within the church, but he was a man that was full of grace and power. He speaks the word and he's seized and he's put to death at the end of chapter 7 for the proclamation of the gospel. And then this, this persecution then outright, the outright savagery like escalates in a new and terrible way. Verse 1 of chapter 8 says, And Saul approved of his execution, and there arose a, quote, great persecution on that day against the church in Jerusalem. They were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except for the apostles. Devout men, they buried Stephen, they made great lament over him, but Saul was ravaging the church. And listen to how this is described. He was entering house after house. He dragged off men and women and he committed them to prison for being Christians and proclaiming the good news of Christ. So just pause there for a moment and just imagine that, okay? We have brand new believers, Jews, who now have long, had longed for the coming of Messiah, they're now being struck to the heart by the word of God and they're trusting in Christ. They've been saved and they form this beautiful church and the beautiful church is day by day, spending life, doing life with one another, sharing life, sharing all things, sitting under the apostles' teaching. They're growing. It's time and a season of great fruitfulness and joy. What a powerful and joyful season that must have been. But then in an instant... The city and religious officials absolutely slammed down the hammer to put an end to this movement. Leaders are being arrested. Friends are now being outright murdered. Their own friends and family are dragged out of their own homes. As Saul, this, this most powerful Jewish leader, unleashes his fury on Christianity. So take a moment and imagine how those new believers felt as they witnessed and experienced these things. Or, or just imagine, take a moment, and imagine how you might feel if you experience something like this. I mean, for the most of us, at least at this time, the severest persecution that we've received, experienced, is being made fun of, being belittled. Or losing a relationship. Or being called into HR and our job being threatened. Now, these things are significant, but friends, how do we tend to respond when we experience even just a taste of the persecution and suffering and rejection that these first century Christians were facing? 
I would say, at least for me, many times we recoil. We, we pull back from being so bold. We stop being bold and we just avoid certain topics within certain groups of people. We become fearful that we've said too much, that we've burned a bridge, and therefore we stop proclaiming at Thanksgiving Day meal. But look at how the people of our text respond. Again, how these brand new believers, under the threat of death and imprisonment, driven from their homes, they're now displaced. What is their response? Chapter 8, verse 4. Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. It's amazing. It's really striking to me. Uh, I mean, of all the potential responses from these people, uh, uh, like being so new in their faith, of all the potential responses, they are scattered. They're in totally new places, but they went about wherever they were scattered and did the very thing that they were just scattered for. The thing that just cost them their jobs, their homes, their, their worlds, they go about doing. I think it's amazing and inspiring. Maybe it's a little convicting, but it's amazing for us to meditate upon. Now, within that like one sentence, there's just a few things today that I want us to, to zero back in on and unpack for the remainder of our time. There's four kind of words that we see that kind of unfold just how powerful and beautiful this one verse really is. And the first word is the word therefore. Now, I would imagine you're looking down at your ESV translation like I am, and you say, the word therefore is not in my Bible, but it actually is. It's just translated uh, differently in the ESV. It's translated faithfully, the word that's used can certainly be translated uh, like it is. The ESV says now, which is a completely appropriate interpretation, but the New American Standard translation, I think, actually captures this a little bit better. And And the New American Standard says, but Saul began ravaging the church, entering house after house, dragging off men and women. He would put, he would put them in prison. First word, therefore, those who had been scattered went about preaching the word. So what's being communicated there? It's that the believers are ran out of town. Therefore, what do they do? Do they stop speaking? Do they run and cower? Do they shut up so they can have a fresh start and not be persecuted elsewhere? No, they remain committed. They remain utterly convinced and compelled by the gospel. So if they can't share it in Jerusalem, well, guess what? Therefore, they're going to continue to speak it wherever they are scattered. As I was thinking about that, therefore, this week, I was thinking about Dr. Seuss's uh, Green Eggs and Ham and how he won't do this and that in all these different places. But then in the second half of the book, he's like, he's like, yeah, I, I will eat this for us. I will share it here and there. I, I will share it wherever I am. 
The second word, or the second kind of thought within this is, who is it that is scattered and is sharing this good news? Look more time at, one more time at verse 1. It says, the church, that is the normal, everyday, run-of-the-mill believers, they're scattered throughout all the region, but not the apostles. They remained in Jerusalem. Therefore, when we come to verse 4, we see that those who are scattered were once again these normal believers. Just everyday believers. Most of whom would have been brand new believers. Uh, Friends, oftentimes in our lives, we are tempted to assume that the responsibility to share the good news is the responsibility of somebody, frankly, anybody but us. Uh, We think maybe it's the job of the pastor. Maybe it's the job of someone who's really gifted in evangelism. Maybe it's the person that has more time because we're just so busy. But do you see that's not the posture of the early church? Sure, there were apostles who were uniquely called and gifted by God to do this. And Ephesians says that the Lord gave people especially gifted in evangelism to the early church. But these scattered folks weren't just sitting around and waiting for those people to show up. They weren't waiting for the next big evangelistic rally or event. As they were being scattered and wherever they were being scattered, they scattered the good news. They went about speaking about Christ crucified and raised from the dead. And that leads us to the kind of third word I want us to see in that verse. The the third word I want us to see is the word preach. It's found in verse 4. Now, there, there are two main words in the New Testament that are translated as preach in our English Bibles. The word that's used here in verse 4, and then if you just skip down to verse 5, there's the same word, preach, uh, speaking about Philip and what he does, proclaiming. The word used here in verse 4 can certainly mean preach, but it actually doesn't carry the same weight in the same tone or texture as the word that's translated proclaim or herald that is used in verse 5. The word here in verse 4 simply means to bring the good news. To bring the good news or to announce it. In fact, the word comes from the same root word that we get evangelize. It simply means to spread the word, to be a gospeler, if you could say it like that. One pastor says, these were ordinary laymen who were gossiping the gospel. The message of Jesus Christ was on their lips. They were not preachers, apostles, evangelists, ordained ministers, but laymen who knew Christ and wanted to make him known to others. Friends, when we are tempted to assume that passages like this don't apply to us because they say the word preach and we say, well, I'm not a preacher. I haven't been called to preach. Therefore, this doesn't really apply to me. Then we, we, we really miss the text that's before us. For just like these believers were scattered in a different way, we are scattered throughout all of our city throughout various families, throughout various businesses and social circles. We are spread out, and it's within these regions that we are scattered 
that we too are both called and equipped to bring the good news to those who are there. So Christian, I would say to you, be encouraged. Like be motivated that you are in called, you are called, you are indwelt by the Holy Spirit. You are promised that Christ will be with you to be a part of this great work of bringing the gospel to people who do not yet believe it. And the fourth and final word I want us to consider as we kind of wrap up this is the word, word. (laughs) Those who scattered went about scattering, quote, the word. So as we talk about evangelism this year, we'll talk about various things. But we can't ever overlook the, the fact that the content of our evangelism is the word. It's God's word. It is his revelation, and it is most specifically the message of Jesus Christ. For Jesus is the word who became flesh and dwelt among us, of whom the entirety of the Bible points to and proclaims and culminates uh, in. May we always be diligent that the word that we scatter is, in fact, God's word. It's the gospel that we scatter. Not politics, not arguments, not traditions, not opinions, even good things, important things like our own testimonies. May the good news that we scatter be the word of God, the good news of Christ flowing from our lips wherever we are scattered. For no matter where we are scattered, there are people made in the very image of God who are destined for an eternity separated from God and under his wrath. But not to mention the fact that here in their life right now, they're devoid of this eternal life and hope even before they meet eternity. Dearest friends, Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, came to our earth to give up his life to pay the price for his people's sin. In his death, he took our sin, our rebellion upon himself, and he died the death that we deserved And he credits to us his great righteousness. Christ did not stay dead, but he conquered death and sin in his resurrection. And now he grants salvation to all who trust in him. This is the amazing and astounding message of the gospel. It's the message that God desires for all to hear. But as Romans 10 says, how are they going to hear? How will they hear the name of Christ, the name of the only name by which they can be saved, as Acts chapter 4 says. God's plan and his only plan is through his people who have already experienced this great salvation, scattering the gospel as we are scattered throughout our world. So my non-Christian friend, I would just say, have you ever heard that good news before? that good news that there is salvation and hope in Jesus Christ, but it's in Jesus Christ alone. Uh, Or church folk, I can't tell you how many times I've talked to people that have been in the pews for even years, but they've never really trusted in Christ for salvation. My friends, don't let your like 
embarrassment or assumptions make you think that you're any different. Maybe you've never really trusted in Jesus Christ for salvation. My friend, I would say to you, today is the day. If you're trusting in anything else other than Jesus Christ for your salvation, then, friends, you're not a Christian. (laughs) My brother or sister, I pray that you would trust fully in Jesus Christ for salvation. I'd love to talk to you after the service. Really, any of our members stand ready and excited to talk to you if you are willing to talk about this in kind of a no pressure, no judgment conversation. Church family, as we head into the new year, I'd like to ask you to consider a couple things. The first is just where are you already scattered throughout the city What unique circles has the Lord sovereignly placed you in? He hasn't placed me in your circles. Where are you uniquely placed at this day and time? Where are you placed where the message of Christ needs to be brought? The answer would be wherever you are. (laughs) Who do you already have a relationship with? that you know is not a believer. Have you shared with them? Have you delivered to them the good news? If yes, praise God, press in, pray, plant, water. If not, how come? What's holding you back? Might this year be a year, might this week be the week where you bring the good news to them? What, what would be the first step that you could take towards sharing the good news of Christ in the unique circle that the Lord has placed you in? I would say take heart as you share. It is not your responsibility to save the people that you share with. Uh, you can't control their response no matter how well you share Unless the Spirit works in their hearts, they won't respond favorably, but yet we're still called to share and trust God with the results. We are called ambassadors of Christ. We are called ministers of reconciliation. We're called to speak, to bring the word of the good news wherever we are. In my experience, there are two topics that a pastor can preach on that tend to induce the most guilt in the listener. Those two being, number one, prayer. Number two, evangelism. Uh, For many of us, these two things are incredibly difficult, and we oftentimes feel like failures. But I hope that you're not driven to guilt or despair today. That's not my aim. I mean, if we haven't or if we don't, or won't share the gospel? Yes, I pray for spirit-wrought conviction in our hearts. It's good and necessary, for this is what faithfulness to God actually looks like. But not guilt or shame. What I hope you sense and feel today is a grand calling, a calling that all God's people have. Yes, it's a command, but it's also an invitation to be used by God, to be a small part of the redemptive work of God in our world today. I imagine that some people here in this room, you are goal setters, and we may have already set our goals. If you're a goal setter, you're a week late if you haven't already. If 
you're like me, it's been done for two months. But the goals are, are probably filled with things like personal progress, right? To lose 10 pounds, to, make, to save XYZ amount of money, to finally buy a house. It may not even be on our radars to be outward focused in our pursuit and our goals and our hopes for this coming year to look beyond ourselves to what God is calling and inviting us to do and be in our world, to be others-centered and outward-focused in our lives. And for then, friends, for those who don't know Christ, there's no better way for you to love them than for you to share the good news with them. I imagine that others may think and feel, Chris, I'm barely keeping my head above water as it is. You're wanting me to do something else? But I would just ask you, sweet, sweet saints, to just sit in this text for a moment and realize that God has called and commanded and also invited you to be a part of the sharing of the good news wherever you literally already are at. Wherever you are already scattered, whatever season of life you find yourself in, God desires and commands, but invites you to be a deliverer of his good news of salvation. He promises to be with you even when you're scared. He promises that when we plant and water, that miraculously he causes the growth. Our job is to be faithful to plant and to be faithful to water He's the one who saves sinners from death and wrath and eternal destruction. I think that's remarkable. Just to imagine to be a small part of the work that God's doing in someone's life this year. I would say to you, brother or sister, like, is that not the most stunning and worthy of all of our other goals combined? And I also ask you, Christian, and especially church member, to imagine what this might look like if this were to become the norm for our church family. If, again, if this were to become the culture, the regular rhythm of those who call this church their home and are especially members of this church, if each one of us were faithful and being even more courageous in evangelism this year. Like imagine what that would do to our fellowship. Can you imagine week by week having people here who you are already sharing Christ with? Imagine men and women and boys and girls and young and old coming to trust Christ through your personal witness and then seeing them enfolded into the body of Christ. How beautiful and exciting would that be? Uh, Friends, I'd ask you, would you pray for that? with me? Would you be diligent to strive with me to grow in evangelism? I confess, I sure need to grow. Because no matter what the day is or what this year brings, no matter where we might be scattered, God's call upon our life and his call upon our church is to be a people who make disciples 
speak the word of salvation, praying and trusting that all the while that God, through his spirit and through his word, will indeed reap a harvest for his great glory. Would you please pray with me? Got to pray that you would remind us once again of this great salvation that we as believers have experienced. That being dead in our trespasses and sins, running headlong, willingly to hell, that you have intervened in our own pursuit of independent self-destruction and you've redeemed us by the blood of your son, Jesus Christ. I pray that you would renew in us, God, this sense of awe that you have saved us. And that as a result, the more we're astounded by the good news of Christ, I pray that it would become more and more and more natural that we would share that good news with others. I pray that, Father, in the name of Christ, that you would save sinners this year through the ministry of the saints, sharing, scattering the word wherever we are scattered across this city. We pray, O oh Lord, that for our church family, Lord, we are grateful for those who are pace setters within our fellowship in this regard. But we ask, Lord, that our entire fellowship would grow and excel yet more. And that by your spirit and word, we would actually become a church family where the culture of our church, the regular rhythm of our fellowship is about sharing the good news that there is salvation in Jesus Christ. We pray that you would do this work in our hearts for your glory. Amen.